Well, we've reached the end of our series on the story that makes sense of our story through the early chapters of Genesis. And so tonight we're in Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to read verses 1 through to 9. Beginning at verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered him over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Philip. Thank you to the team. It's really lovely, and what a great words in that last psalm. We always have uh, a book to give away on Sunday evenings. I do have a book, it's called The Garden, The Curtain and the Cross. Have any of you heard of this before? I have told you, oh, you have. Um, Thank you, thank you, Sam. What do you think of it? You like it? Reuben, you've heard of it as well. Do you see how the staff, I mean, they're really well educated. And actually, we used it with the, the uh, communicants uh, uh, class this, this afternoon. My favorite book of all time is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And, and I think this has to be my second favorite book because it takes us through the original garden, which we've been thinking about, the curtain, the curtain that separated a holy God from unholy people and the cross where the curtain was torn in two and I have got to give it what about Jacob let me see now Jacob Jacob is a name that a lot of people are thinking about at the moment it's a good name at the moment so why don't you have that and enjoy that Uh, and everybody else they can go to the bookshop and buy a copy (laughs) because it really is good Okay, now if we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 11, which is our Bible passage uh, for this evening, these past number of Sunday evenings we've been looking at the early foundational chapters of the Bible, Uh, the presentation of a worldview that helps us make sense of this world. And in it we've started, as you know, chapter 1, in a garden, and tonight Uh, We end in a city. We end in a city. 
And uh, the story of Genesis 1 through to 11 has been a pattern of grace followed by rebellion, followed by judgment, followed by new grace. So remind yourselves of Genesis 1 and 2, for example. There we have Adam and Eve. They have everything they need. God has been very good to them, uh, not because of anything they have done, but because God is gracious. That is grace. But Adam and Eve listen to the serpent, and listening to his voice, they choose to live independently of God and his word, and they take their lives into their own hands. That is rebellion. But rebellion leads to consequences, and so unable to walk any longer with God, humankind is banished from the garden, and paradise is lost. This is judgment. And all is lost. And yet amazingly, astonishingly, chapter 3 tells us that in spite of the threat of death, God covers rebellious humankind and makes a promise that one day the seed of the woman would destroy all that is evil. And that is new grace. Then do you remember Genesis chapter 4? Adam and Eve have a son called Cain, and then they have another son, Abel, and that is grace. But then Cain murders Abel, and that is rebellion. Cain is banished in judgment, but in his mercy and grace, God protects Cain and grants him an offspring. That is new grace. Or last week in Noah. Noah and his family have everything that they need. And that's grace. But chapter 6 verse 5. God saw that every inclination of the hearts of men was only evil all the time. That's rebellion. And so the Lord was grieved that he made man on earth. And his heart was filled with pain. And so he said I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. That's judgment. And I will send a cleansing flood. And yet, new grace. Through the building of the ark, God spared Noah and his family and made to them a gracious promise that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. As Romans chapter 5 puts it so wonderfully, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This pattern in these early chapters of grace, rebellion, judgment, new grace. So now we come to this final chapter of this early part of the Bible and to the Tower of Babel. And we wonder what will happen if the pattern we've got used to seeing continues or if something else takes place. But before we do that, shall we look at a few key words which we find in the text? And the first one is eastward, verse 2. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a place in Shinar, that is Babylonia. I wonder if that uh, phrase eastward reminds you of anything we've already encountered 
glance back at chapter 3 and the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. And in chapter 3, verse 23, we read, So the Lord God banished them from the garden, and he drove the man out, verse 24. He placed him on the east side of the garden of Eden, and cherubim and a flaming sword was flashing there back and forth to guard the way from the tree of life. So east side is representative of separation from God. In other words, the place that is outside God's blessing. And interestingly enough, those cherubim with the flaming swords flashing were the image that was on the curtain, which separated humankind from a holy God in the temple. The curtain that was torn in two from top to bottom when God brought about a rapprochement, a, a coming together. So east side here is a representation of separation from God, the place outside the blessing of God. So in chapter 4, when Cain murdered his brother in verse 16, Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Yeah. And in chapter 13, when Lot left Abraham, he traveled eastward where he met disaster in Sodom and Gomorrah. Thousands of years later, when the Satan crusher was born, and I haven't seen this in any commentary, but from which direction did lost Gentile humanity come from in order to worship? From the east. That curse of separation was replaced. It was reversed by the blessing of inclusion as the Magi, those following astrology, came to seek the newborn king. Okay? So that's an interesting little phrase that we see here, eastward. What else do we see? In verse 3, uh, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Let us. Does that phrase make you think of something else? Chapter 1, and God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So here you could say that man is aping God. The men who are moving eastward say, let us make bricks. Now, of course, you could say that in one sense, they are simply doing what it is to be made in the image of God. They are creative human beings, and that's a sign of grace. But in another way, here they're expressing their autonomy from God because they're saying, let us make bricks. They're making this city that they want to make out of bricks, man-made products rather than stones, uh, natural rock which God has made. They want to make a man-made city so that, as uh, Philip has already pointed out to us tonight, they, they might make a name for, for God, not in your Nelly, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches up to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You know, and I know, that bricks don't last. Uh, When Claire and Ruth and I were in uh, Nepal, Kathmandu was full of brick kilns. That's why the city, by the way, is so polluted so smoggy. And because so many of their buildings were constructed out of bricks when the earthquakes came, that's why so many people were killed, because bricks crumble, bricks fall. But that doesn't stop man's ambition, and his ambition without God knows no bounds. Let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens. So here's man reaching for the stars. Here's, here is all by sheer human endeavor. Humankind is soaring up to reach the heights of God, or could we say in the week that's in it, to know the mind of God. I wonder if you've ever noticed how the tallest building in any city is generally the most important building. So, for example, in Washington, no building is permitted to be taller than the Washington Monument because their government is the key. Or what used to be the tallest building in New York? The World Trade Center. What's that telling you about New York? The most important thing there? Or in China, at 1,965 feet, the Ping An Finance Center is the tallest building. It used to be, of course, in medieval days that the cathedral was the tallest building because the message at that time was that God is the most significant element in our lives. But not here. Let us build a tower a ziggurat that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Uh, And that's not just that people will look on in awe and say what geniuses these people are, although I'm sure that's part of it. But do you remember back in uh, Genesis chapter 2, it was God who named man Adam. Adam didn't name himself But here again, in defiance of and in independence from God, man wanted to make a name for themselves. But you know and I know that when humankind seeks significance, security, immortality apart from God, it's simply building your life on bricks. It can't last. Okay, so there are just a few observations from this chapter which are not just random thoughts but deeply significant elements concerning both what's going on before and certainly what will follow on. But at this uh, point, I'd like to highlight something else about the text which is uh, highly significant but which to the untrained eye uh, we'll fail to see. Chapter 11 verses 1 through to 9. Do you see that section in your Bible? It's quite a short section, but it's, it's in a form, a literary form that we called a chiasm. 
It's chiastic in its structure. What do we mean? Well, I wonder if I can see this uh, visual aid, because here is the text written in Hebrew. Does that give an illustration? The way that is written, the, the, the way that this text is written is in this shape. It's almost like a ziggurat, isn't it? Reaching up into... I mean, it's fascinating. The very, the very way in which the words have been constructed is like a visual aid. And so you have a ziggurat and you have uh, it in, in versed form. So it starts off with a long sentence and it continues down to the very core, and the very core is something hugely significant. Well, we'll come to that in just a second, because here it is in English. And this is the next one. All right? Now, if you look down in your word in Genesis chapter 11, do you see verse 1? It talks about now the whole world. Do you see that? Now look at verse 9, and what does it say? It talks about the whole world. All right, so it starts with the whole world, and it ends in the, first, at the, ends in the whole world. Do you see that in verse 1 and verse 9? Okay? Then verse 2, they find a plain in Shinar, and that's another word for Babylonia. And then verse 9 That is why it is called Babel. So there you have the parallelism at the start and at the end of the location. Then move further down. They said to each other, verse 3, Come, let us make bricks. But what's the parallelism in this section? Verse 7, the Lord said, Come, let us go down and confuse the language. Are you with me? And then finally, verse 4, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower. But verse 5, what's the parallel with that? But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Now, this isn't, of course, the first time we've seen a chiastic structure in the Bible. But far from this simply being a literary device that is clever, what is it that the author wants particularly to point out for us to see and not mistake. And it is simply this, it's that that narrow little bit in the middle. It's the bit that's bang in the middle. And what is the most significant thing that is being pointed to from the start and being pointed to from the back back end? And it is verse 5. But the Lord came down. Do you see that? Now, in Hebrew thought, often the most significant thing is what is in the middle of the text. So the author wants us to see, this is a story. Yes, it's a very important story, but what is the key thing that I want to communicate to you? And it's this, the Lord came down. Man has gone to all this trouble to build a tower in order to make a name for himself, in order to reach up to the heavens, but God had to come down in order to have a look at what sinful, rebellious man had been doing by their own efforts and in their own power. Now, why is this phrase so critically significant? What's the reason this sentence is the most important thing for readers of Genesis 11 to note? 
And I'm going to answer that, but not before we notice just one other thing. Thank you, that will do. Remember we said the recurring pattern of these early chapters of Genesis was grace, rebellion, judgment, and new grace. We talked about that with Adam and Eve, with Cain and Abel, with Noah and the ark. But now we've come to the Tower of Babel. Do we have this same pattern? Well, we've got grace. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and said to each other, come, let us make bricks and build ourselves a city. So we've got this grace of creativity of, yes, sinful man, but they're made in the image of God. They're made in his likeness and they are making things. That's grace. But in the building of a city, verse 4, with a tower that reaches to the heavens, they are doing it so that they will make a name for themselves. That's rebellion. So what's the result of rebellion? The Lord scattered them from that place, verse 8, over all the earth. Instead of permitting them to remain in a place of security, the Lord scattered them, and that was judgment. He scattered them over the whole earth. And then the story ends. The story finishes at verse 9. Grace, rebellion, judgment, no new grace. What's happened? Has God at last got fed up with sinful, rebellious humanity? Has God finally given up? Well, if Genesis 1 to 11 is the first half of the Bible, Genesis 12 is the beginning of the second half of the Bible. Because cast your eye over, if you will, to the end of chapter 11, verse 31. And here we are introduced to an elderly couple called Abram and his barren wife called Sarah. The story continues in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Who will make their name great? I will make your name great. That's different. I will make your name great. And if God is the one who makes Abram's name great, rather than man seeking greatness for his own name, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And verse 3, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How will that happen? Well, a lot of things will have to happen over the next couple of thousand years, but happen they will. God creates a people and a nation for himself called the children of Israel, the people of God, out of which came, do you remember back to chapter 3, verse 15, out of which would come the snake crusher, one born supernaturally, to an elderly man and a virgin unable to conceive in her own. 
God would do something for lost and sinful humankind that arrogant, striving, searching humankind could never do for themselves. In other words, the Lord came down. He came down into the very creation which had rebelled against him and made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. God came down in order to lift lost, sinful, rebellious humanity up from Babylon, as we were hearing this morning, to another city, to lift humankind up with him because God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did I happen to mention tongues? In Genesis chapter 11, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. In Babel, Babylon, God caused the people to babble so that they could no longer understand. But not long after the cross and resurrection and ascension of Christ, the snake crusher Lord came down again, this time not in Babylon, but in the other place used throughout Scripture as an alternative motif, Jerusalem. God came down again, this time in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we're told that Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocians and those from Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, including Arabs, people of every tongue, strangely on that day of Pentecost heard the wonders of God being declared in their own language. On that day, when God came down by the power of the Holy Spirit, the curse of Babel was reversed. And the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, were at long last reunited under the gospel of the grace of Jesus. Is this not stunning? This is the story that makes sense of our story. The pattern of grace, rebellion, judgment, and yet more grace. And so now we come to Peter's continued sermon after the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost and chapter 3 of Acts, verse 25. Peter says to the people of God, that's his beloved church, the seed of Abraham, you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. 
For God said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples of earth will be blessed. And what a blessing there has been in Jesus. One more thing. We started off in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. Now let's finish in the very last book in the Bible in Revelation. We began in Genesis 1, so let's conclude in Revelation 22. We began with the tree of the knowledge of good of evil, and wonderfully now we conclude with the tree of the river of life. We began with Babel, Genesis chapter 11. And now in Revelation 18, we conclude with the fall of Babylon. We began with paradise lost in Eden. And now Revelation 21, we encounter paradise regained. What is it John says in his vision? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Revelation 21 verse 2. Can you see what it says? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, what? Come down. Out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. God coming down. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them forever. They will be his people. God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying or pain because the old order has passed away. The new has come. Do you know something? We really are the most privileged people in all the world. And Genesis 1 through to 11 gives us a worldview that most people cannot or will not accept. But if only they could see the beauty of this. We know where we've come from. We know where we're going. We know that we have been deliberately and lovingly created for a relationship with the living Lord. And while we have sinned and fallen far short of the glory of God, God has not abandoned us. He has come in judgment to punish sin, but that punishment he took on himself when in humility and grace he came down and died on a cross so that we who deserve nothing but death through his redeeming love and amazing grace might be lifted up to the heights of his throne. This is incredible. It's beautiful. And that's not something we can keep for ourselves, is it? It's something we just have to share.
Our gracious Lord, um, your word contains such riches, such beauty. You communicate to us the most incredible things. And tonight you have communicated the most significant thing that you want to communicate. The most important thing in all the world. That you have come down to us to make yourself known in order to lift us up into your very own presence. How we thank you. How we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you for the Holy Spirit. How we thank you that Jesus will come again and restore all things to himself. How we bless you. How we thank you. How we praise your most holy name. Gracious Lord, as we've spent time together this evening, what a privilege to be around your word and with your people in praise and adoration. It is our prayer that you will also renew us, encourage us to go from here to live lives of obedience and holiness and purity in love and gratitude to you, the living God. We cannot do that, dear Lord, in our own. We are completely unable to live lives of integrity and wholeness without your help. But you have granted us the spirit to do just that. And so our gracious Father, send us from here prepared and able to serve you, the living Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we just want to thank you that you are a God of grace and that we see your grace in so many ways. Grace in how you made us, made us in your image, made us to know you and to be loved by you. Father, we praise you for the wonderful privilege that that is. We praise you that as we speak to you now, we call you Father because you want to know us. We thank you for your grace. And though we are rebellious people, we thank you most of all that the Lord Jesus came down and he took the judgment that we deserve so that we receive this new grace that is abounding, that is rich, that transforms our lives. We thank you. This grace is amazing. And may we never lose our wonder at all that you have done for us, done for us that we do not deserve. And so tonight, Father, we bring our offering to you with thankful hearts, and we pray that you would help us to give over to you not just our money, but every single aspect of our lives in thankful response to your grace to us.
Father, we want to pray for your world, for the people around the world of different tongues. Father, we pray particularly this evening for those brothers and sisters we have who do not meet in the same freedom that we do. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution because they follow you. Father, would you strengthen them? Would you uphold them? And would you help them to see more and more of your grace that enables them to stand firm in you? And we also want to think tonight of those from within our own congregation who are elsewhere at the minute wanting to share your good news around the world. And so we do pray particularly for John and for Elizabeth and for Andrea in Moldova. Father, we thank you for them and for this trip that they're taking and for the connection we have with the church there. Father, we know that there are six inches of snow there, that it isn't going to be an easy few days. But we pray that you'll be with them in the midst of all they do. Father, we want to pray particularly for tomorrow, that as Andrea begins her social work classes, that though the weather is bad, that the people you would have be there would be able to make it. And that it would be an important and helpful session for them as they're able to learn from Andrea. And then we also pray for John and Elizabeth as they go to Island of Hope, the centre that deals with sex trafficking. Father, would you help them to travel safely through the bad weather? And again, that you would use them in a significant way to speak of your grace. And Lord, though the things they planned might not happen in this trip, we thank you that you are still in control and that you would use them to encourage the church to build up the people they meet with and to see your hand at work in all that they do. Father, we also want to pray for Helen. We pray that you would continue to encourage her. We pray for a new sense of hopefulness as spring comes and the weather begins to change. And we pray particularly for the field conference happening at the end of this month. Father, we know this is a huge responsibility for her as she brings teams from across the world to help with the childcare program there. Father, we pray that things would go smoothly. We pray that the team that comes will bond well together and will deliver the program well and that they would not add any extra stress or burden to Helen, but that she'll be able to enjoy her time at the conference, mixing with colleagues, praying with them, and being refreshed by your word. Father, we also want to pray for our wider world. As we look around the world, we see a world full of people who just want to make a name for themselves. And we see countries acting in ways that we do not understand. And if we're honest, we don't really know how to pray. And so we pray for situations in Russia, between America and North Korea, We pray for Syria. Father, we pray that you be placing the right people in the right roles in order to bring peaceful solutions to all of these tensions. And Father, we're praying particularly for Syria. We pray that as people flee their home, that they would find a welcome elsewhere, especially from people who call upon your name. Father, we thank you for this time together tonight. 
We thank you to be able to be here with your people, singing your praises, speaking to you in prayer, and most of all, hearing from your word. We thank you for the rich, deep truths of grace that we have heard this evening. We pray that you would implant them in our hearts and minds and that we would not leave here unchanged, but we would be encouraged to love you more and to live for you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.